Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network, where you'll find all your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey, and our mentors might provide that roadmap for your journey. On most Thursday, I am blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Normally on the first Thursday of the month, it's Alan Fox. That's today. The second Thursday is Coach Chuck Reese. The third Thursday is Dr. John Murray. The fourth Thursday is normally energy coach Linda LeClaire, and sometimes we're blessed to have her husband, Dr. Bryce Young, join us on the broadcast. And on the alternating months, it's Coach Scott Williams. And on those occasional fifth Thursdays, well, who knows? Over the last three years, we have been blessed to have Nick Saviano, Coach Scott Engie, Coach Ashley Hobson, uh, many college coaches and high school coaches from throughout the country. We've had, uh, been in the past, have uh, people from as far away as Europe. And, of course, we've had USTA officials on, uh, PTR and USPTA executive directors and officers of those organizations. And we've also had Florida Tennis Magazine founder and editor Jim Marson. Of course, the nice thing about talk, Block Talk Radio and the Yellow Ball Network is that you can listen anytime you choose to the broadcast. On Wednesdays, Coach Chuck Reese, American Tennis is on. And now on Sundays, we have Coach's Corner with Randy Blumenthal. Truthfully, I seldom listen to them live because my schedule prohibits it, but you can bet your life I never miss the broadcast. I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, well, you're missing out on some useful information. And because I believe Dr. King when he said our lives begin to end, the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis, and naturally you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges. Who knows? Together we may wake up that sleeping giant called high school tennis. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I have previously expressed, if you disagree with me, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. That's coachdenise, D-A-N-I-S-E, dot F-H-S, T-C-A at A-T-T dot net. Who knows? You may read your views in Florida tennis, or you may hear them on uh, Coach Denise Tennis Blessings broadcast. It would not be the first time that I've done that. Remember, too, if somebody has taken the last issue of Florida tennis from your pro shop, or if you're not subscribing, and I don't know why you wouldn't be because, uh, you know, tennis runs through Florida. There's articles from all over the world in the magazine, but uh, being Jim March started this almost 30 years ago and as a Florida publication to begin with, it's uh, the title doesn't do it uh, service. But uh, if it's missing from your pro shop or you – uh, not received, in a copy, you can always see the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennis.com. 
or in between issues, you can now find Jim Marks and some of my articles as well as other information on Facebook, uh, which is FL Tennis. So um, we are now on the uh, social media, and uh, there's always things that come up in between um, publications of the magazine. We try to keep you abreast of what's going on there. We, I think we have an outstanding broadcast uh, today, and uh, today um, uh, I, I admit to being a little late with uh, reading, as I said in my commentary uh, last week uh, with Wilmington, I got stuck behind, and uh, but I also am, um, well, I guess I'm old-fashioned, I like to read magazines, and this issue of PTR Magazine actually has a story in there from Dr. Alan Fox. And uh, ironically, uh, the subject that we're going to be covering today is a subject we had hoped to cover last month. But I recommend all of you to go to the PTR Magazine. Uh, I do recognize some of the um, stuff in the article uh, uh, I'm not sure if it was from uh, winning the mental match or one of his other books, but I recognize some things in there. But it's a great article in the PTR magazine. I see uh, Dr. Allen on now. Uh, let me uh, just bring him on, and then I'll properly introduce him after I do my commentary. Allen, are you there? Allen, are you there? Yes. Okay, Alan, I'm going to properly introduce you in a, about uh, two minutes because what we started doing a couple months ago, uh, I always tell people, you know, give your point of views, and some of the comments was that I should do my commentary prior to after, and I'm not too old to make changes, so uh, I'm doing that. So this is the August 2nd uh, commentary. I am the grandfather of two boys who didn't follow their grandparents' love of tennis, nor their mothers who played high school tennis, or really not even their uncles who, after playing college tennis, started the John Denise School of Tennis with me. Yes, I was the other John Denise. Nor did they follow their father, who, although an outstanding baseball player when he was young, he later became a competitive tennis player, and they used to come down uh, to Florida during the month of January before the boys were born. And he spent much time playing uh, with my better tennis students. Like many other uh, athletes, our grandchildren chose to play baseball rather than tennis. And Ryan is now a member of the Mitchell College baseball team, and Justin, although he will be returning for a high school senior this year, just made his decision which college scholarship he will be accepting. And he might have already, if not, he will be signing his letter of intent with Manhattan College. Yes, Bobby and I are proud grandparents, but that is not the only reason for this week's commentary. Any day now, the August-September issue of Florida Tennis Magazine will be out. And part three of Coach Denise Changes, Risky and Necessary, will be in your pro shops. And because I am long-winded, and since the first two parts of the article had suggestions from me and others, we admitted my paragraph about thinking outside the box and the possibilities of USDA having their own network. While proud of all our grandchildren and always being available for support and advice, probably more than they desired at times, I became more interested in college and professional baseball since Ryan and Justin were working for college baseball scholarships and dreams of being major league baseball players. Being they achieved the first part of their dreams, I felt watching major league baseball channel in the best Baseball Hall of Fame inductees might provide more insight on their journey. Cooperstown, New York brought fond memories. 
50,000 attendees were there last Sunday. Uh, hard to imagine it was a one-street town the last time I was there, but 50,000 people there to hear the acceptance speeches by the six Hall of Fame inductees, and they were even more memorable. Every athlete, coach, parent, and the USTA officials could listen and watch this ceremony. Yes, Major League Baseball was simultaneously being shown on other TV networks, but Major League Baseball was honoring the six newest members of its Hall of Fame. And doing this was not only honoring the six newest inductees, they were honoring their brand, Major League Baseball. And after hearing the six inductees, you realize that like tennis, success did not start at the Major League. All the inductees expressed their gratitude for their families, uh, Little League, high school coaches, college coaches, and support teams that helped them become the successes as they are. As I stated in my June 7th commentary about Supreme Court Justice Wizard White, I think he would most likely have been as disappointed as I when reading USA Today's article, part of which read, and I will quote, quote, there was no dramatic or even subtle message delivered in any of the Hall of Fame speeches, but most simply thanking those who helped them along the way. Wow, what a sad commentary. Sadly, I suspect they most likely were listening for mistakes they could report rather than the content of those stars' messages of expressing their gratitude and things. I would have summed up the remarks with Jim Donnelly's statement. If you try to conduct yourself with honesty and authenticity, the results are the most natural high a human being can have. After wonder and ask, does not American tennis have similar success stories that we should be celebrating? When considering their own network, did not Major League Baseball have those arguing they could not have their own network since other networks were buying their product? I suspect the discussion was lively, but the rewards are many when we listen to each other. One of the questions I asked in the August-September issue of Florida Tennis Magazine is, why do most of today's new Major League Baseball players go through high school and colleges? Yes, I've learned that by watching Major League Baseball Network. I have my own views, of course, but what is important is that you express your views. Express them to the USTA, the PTR, the USPTA, your state organization, Florida Tennis Magazine, Tennis Magazine. But more important is that we all listen to each other and digest those views. After all, it's our game. It's your advantage. Alan, I'm blessed to be talking with you again today, and I... um, I'm sure I don't really need to introduce you because the people that haven't uh, read your uh, three books, If I'm the Better Player, Why Can't I Win or Think to Win or Tennis Winning the Mental Match, well, it's hard to believe in uh, tennis that that's not happening, but I'm sure they've seen you on your one-minute clinics on the tennis channel and, quite frankly, being a over 30-year PTR member. It was nice to uh, see your article in the uh, magazine, which I thought was funny because last month when we weren't on, uh, we were actually going to talk about this topic. So uh, I really thank you for being on. How are you doing? Uh, I'm just fine. I'm I'm listening to your your. Uh interesting talk on on baseball and and I'm uh, I'm ready to go back and forth with you about I forgot what topic we were going to talk about today to be honest well we were going to talk what I thought is and I put on my introduction for the uh, broadcast that we were going to talk about our uh, today's players having fun when they're competing or they under more stress 
And uh, then I, I don't read that much online, but when I picked up my uh, issue of uh, the PTR magazine, I see your article under the stress of high expectations, and I said, wow, that just fits right into the uh, broadcast we missed. Uh, well, well, let's talk about how, how about we talk about stress in tennis and and uh, where it comes from uh, and and what it does to players. Okay, let's do that. You're on. I would prefer um, <laughs> maybe I like the classroom thing. So um, you're in charge of the classroom now. Oh, okay. Well, I could I could start out with a, a soliloquy on on stress and. And you can jump in and 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 ask questions and push me around if I if I say something that that you feel is questionable. Okay. Uh, you know, of course, I I consult also with young uh, aspiring tournament players. Uh, my my major uh, clients are are these uh, kids that go to the academies and and want to become either good college players or even pro players. Uh, and it's almost invariably a stress problem. When when they when they come to me for help, the bottom the bottom line of it is invariably stress in some form or another that that disturbs them. Okay, they uh, and the funny thing is, and it isn't the funny thing I guess but but all of them all of them start off playing tennis for much the same reason I shouldn't say all of them but almost all of them for the same reason you know I ask them why why did you start playing tennis and they will almost always say for fun you know they 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 there's lots of games they can play and they they start playing tennis and they find it's fun and so the the progression from starting this game for fun and ending up being stressed out is is somewhat strange. Okay, you would think that as they get better, uh, it should be even more fun. Uh, but instead, too many times, actually, it turns into pressure and stress and and uh, desires to be better than than the results are shown. You know, feeling that the results aren't good enough or that they put in so much time; uh, they ought to be ranked higher. And and I tell you, one of the one of the uh, sort of uh, uh, I I wouldn't call it dramatic, but but one of the indications I had of it was I went to this uh, one tennis academy. You know, kids were living kids, and they were all highly ranked in the country, and they all wanted to be uh, great college players and pros, maybe. And and this was before the afternoon workout. So I was sitting around watching the kids kind of fooling around on the court, you know, before the drill started and, and before all the, uh, uh, the pros, uh, showed up that were going to be feeding and driving them. So, so they were playing mini tennis, you know, they were playing like in that half court, that kind of game where they would just sort of poke and chop balls around, you know, but not hit them hard. And they were running around and laughing and having a great time doing this. And then, and then the, uh, the the pros showed up and started feeding them tennis balls, and all the fun went out of it. It now became, you know, work. And and it was interesting. The the first game where they were just fooling around, they were playing and they were jerking each other all around in like half the court, volleying and hitting little easy ground strokes. Uh, that didn't count. That wasn't the game. That, that counted for something, okay? When they got into the real tennis game, suddenly they felt it counted. I mean, of course, I'm sitting on the sideline, and, and I realize it doesn't count any more than that little game did, okay? N- neither one of them really counts. I mean, and both of them should be played for the same reason. That is basically for fun, for the enjoyment of it. I mean, they're not... Uh, it's it's not their their life it's just a game and that's that's what a lot of players forget because tennis 
is inherently a, a stressful game when you start trying to win. When when winning becomes very important, uh, it's not controllable. Okay, you can try and work as hard as you want and practice as much as you like, and you can never be sure of winning. And, and in fact, w- w- the real sequence with these kids that that are improving and 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 tournament players is they play a lower tournament, okay, and they they do well, and they play another lower tournament, and they sort of work their way up, and and they play a higher tournament, a higher tournament, and it always ends up the same way mentally, and that is they reach a point where they're playing players that are as good as they are or better, and suddenly the winning becomes very difficult, okay, and 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 they worry about it because they, they like winning, they end up losing half the time or more. Uh, they could always, they could win all their matches if they wanted to. All they'd have to do is go down and play uh, weak tournaments where nobody is very good, and they'd win all the matches. But that wouldn't be satisfying either. So, so they work their way up to these tougher tournaments, and now it's very stressful because they're playing good players that can beat them and, and do beat them. And so they, it, it, there's a tendency to lose perspective, you know, with, this, with the desire to win and the desire to move up and the desire to, like, prove yourself that you're really good. Uh, it, 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 it can become stressful and, and, and does usually. And, and it's interesting. I was also talking to the father of one of the kids just in the last day or so, uh, and one of the kids I consult with. And, and his son is young, quite young, but, but very good, nationally, uh, nationally ranked player. And he says, my boy is so talented. He says, I tell him all the time what a wonderful talent he has for the game. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's a double-edged sword. And, 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 and I've, I've seen both edges of it. I mean, the good edge of the sword, when you tell your kid he's talented and has the makings of a great player, potentially, it, that's, that's motivating. So that's the good, the good side of it. Makes him feel there's some opportunity to really get good. And, and then he gets into the tournament with, with, with an, another 11-year-old opponent and loses and, and it blows him out. He starts thinking, I'm so talented. I should win. I should win. He starts thinking he should win. And, and, and when you start thinking like that, it, it's good and it's bad, you know, depending on how you uh, – maybe I'm the person. But, yeah, it, it's nice to feel you should win, but now you have expectations and, and – those often tend to be stressful because in tennis, you don't, you don't reach them right away. And, and, and actually, the weird thing is you never reach them. Mm-hmm. The tennis players, unless you're Federer, maybe Federer or Nadal, even they don't reach them. No. Uh, but, but no matter how high you get, now, uh, I just tell you from my own career, uh, I started out playing in Tucson, you know, I was nobody, and there was no good tennis players around. And I'd watch good tennis, you know, what I thought was good. This was in the 1950s in Arizona. You know, and I'd watch some of the tournaments. And I'd see players that looked pretty good. I wish I could be that good. And one time, this, this gal came. Uh, she had been ranked number four in the United States in the women's. She was now a little over the hill, but she came out when she, she was playing with some of the University of Arizona players. And I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, to be four in the United States, how good must that feel? How great must she have been? Uh, and then I, I, my career went along, and I moved to California, and, and I started winning tournaments, and I started getting a lot better. I eventually won the Southern Cal Juniors, and then I won the NCAA singles and doubles championships. And then I was ranked. And eventually, in 1962, I got ranked four in the United States. And the funny thing was, uh, I, I, was the, 
uh, they put me on the Davis Cup team, but I was the, the, the weak guy on the team. The two really best players at my first time were Tut Bartson and, 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 and uh, Chuck McKinley. And mm-hmm. I was envying them. I wanted to play. I was the scrub. You know, uh, they, they put me in for matches against weaker countries. I mean, I went to Iran and played against Iran, uh, which was weak at the time. But, but I wasn't satisfied with that. I, I kept looking at the guys that were ahead of me, and, and I wanted what they had. I wanted to be better. I thought I should be, or I thought I could be. But I was never satisfied. <laughs> and, and, and it's funny. If I, if I had uh, known as a, little, as a kid or thought as a little kid I was actually going to get on the Davis Cup team, Oh my God! That would I, I would have said that's it. I've died and gone to heaven. That's, that's all I could ever ask for. Uh, but you know, tennis players, there, there's always more you can have. You 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 win. I'm sure even Nisovic wins Wimbledon once, and he would have liked to win it twice. He doesn't want to be a one a one trick pony, you know. And you win it three times. Uh, you win majors three times, like Warinka. And then you look at, 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 at Djokovic, and he wins, I don't know, what, 13 times. So you're uh, 13 majors. So you're, you're a minor leaguer compared to him. And, and that's how it is. I think tennis players that are achievement-oriented are constantly looking at the players ahead of them, and they're not satisfied with what they have. It's a funny one. Uh, and that's a sort of a long-winded uh, discussion of – going up in tennis, but, uh, yeah. And, and, and what puts stress on them, uh, is goals that they haven't reached, uh, uh, which of course provide motivation and are good on the one side. And then when they don't reach them uh, or they're not reaching them quick enough, it put, it makes them feel pressured. They don't feel good enough. So I, I, no, I, I think- feel pressure as a player. Yeah, go on, John. Sorry. No, I think that was an excellent uh, explanation, and I think that you know you feel pressure. Everybody it feels pressure, which actually brings me to one of the questions uh, Bobby had stated, and I think talking about our grandsons who were in baseball, and sometimes now you know that's a two-edged uh, sword, and uh, of course we had. Uh, try to get them involved in tennis, and they were, but they just had another love. But one of the things that she had said, and unfortunately there's so much talk about helicopter parents and everything, and she said, well, is there anything new in stress? And and, and her point being, that was one of the questions, I asked four people questions, and she she hit me. Uh, She said, well, ask that. Is this something new? Or this has been going on forever, and I think you've answered that her question. Yeah, it's been going on forever. I mean, the 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 human mind is has uh, some wiring that makes that makes it want to be an achiever. Uh, when we're happiest, when we're going up in some in some way, when we're achieving something. Uh, either our bank accounts are getting bigger, our rankings going up, or we're learning a new skill, or we're getting good at the at the guitar, or whatever it is. It, it, we're wired such that we feel good when when we're achieving something, and and we don't feel good when we aren't. And no matter what we have, it, it, it's the movement upward that makes people happy. Uh, that, that, that's a, an opening for a long political discussion on, on, on the government giving people things. And the fact that they have them, uh, it, it doesn't make them happy. It, it, it makes people happy when they have jobs and they're moving up in their job and they're producing something. Otherwise, people aren't happy. And in tennis, it's, it's the same. You work on your skills uh, and you get better. Now, as as you get older and you get more perspective, it, it does change. I mean, when, it changes in the sense that that it's more day to day. They're not going anywhere long term, particularly. It's just 
It's just playing a good match today. Uh, and, and, and I think it, it's useful for most people if they would keep in mind that it's all supposed to be fun. You know, you're just playing a game, and, 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 and the game is a fun game. Uh, it, and also, I guess that's why it's easy yeah. to sit there and look to, because all sports has stress in it. I, my own bias, I don't know if there's any more than tennis provides, because there's so many, you know, it's, it's like a crisis uh, management uh, uh, spot out there. But all sport, and I think that's why we get into these other conversations about helicopter parents and and the coaches added more stress and these other things, and and we should consider them, but I think we forget about that. The great thing about sports is it is going to provide you stress, and and I really believe that that's why the athletes are better. At, able to handle the rest of life's journey when they leave sports. Yes, that that's something that I've noticed over the years with, uh, like the members, I coached Pepperdine for 18 years, and I had players on the team that were highly ranked nationally or had world junior rankings and so forth. And almost every one of them, when they left, if, if they left tennis, became multimillionaires, not just made a living, but, but did very, very well. Uh, and, and it, it was, it, I, I, in the back of my mind, it wasn't the tennis that did it for them. It, it, the reason they were good in tennis was, was they had certain approaches to the world that, that were different than most people. And, and it works in tennis, and it works in, in business, and it works elsewhere. Uh, they become very successful lawyers. They became very good at what they did, whatever it was. For the same reasons, they became good at tennis. And, and there's, a, there's a whole list. Actually, I wrote a book on the topic called The Winner's Mind. Uh, right. And, and uh, in it, I go through what, what, what traits these tennis players have that 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 are transferable off the court. I mean, the number one uh, one is drive. These are driven people, okay, and 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 they will work harder than the average person. I mean, no normal person, no average person is going to spend four hours a day on a hot tennis court doing drills, repetitive drills, and learning habits through repetition, and do that for fifteen years running. You know, who, who, what normal person does that? You, you have to be highly driven to do it, okay? That normal person won't. And so when it comes to business, these people are more driven. And, and they're better at handling disappointment and failure. Because in tennis, in order to reach any high level, you've got to lose on your way up. And then you've got to suck it up and go out there and find out what you were weak at and go practice it and get better at it, and then, and then try it again. And, and the same thing works in business. You know, you, you, you make little errors, you're aware of them, you see what you did wrong, and, and, and you fix it. The, the average person, by the way, when they go play tennis, they're just hitting tennis balls. They're not really thinking about how to get better, or they may be, but they, they miss uh, – they miss the crucial aspects. And so th- th- there's an awareness that the really good tennis players have. Okay. The, the, the good tennis player wants to control things, tries to control things. Like, even though they can't, like nobody can really control the outcome of a tennis match. Uh, right. But the, 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 the achievement oriented person tries tries like the devil to do it. You know, they try to control it, even when it's not controllable. Uh, they, want, they want to be in control of it. They don't want to leave it just to luck or fate. You know, they don't want to just throw the cards in the center of the table and hope it works out. You know, they're trying to control the outcome themselves. Uh, and that's a, a characteristic of these champions. And when they get into business, 
they'll, what they'll tend to do is they'll tend to know every aspect of the business. They'll want to know it. They won't want to just lay it off on somebody else and let them do it. You know, they'll learn every part of the business themselves. Okay. So they'll do very well when they do lay it off on somebody else. They, they understand what's going on. So they don't get taken advantage of, you know, there are a number of characteristics. And, and I, I think maybe tennis, you know, sort of helps them use these traits, but I think they have it in them to begin with. Nobody really tells them these things. They just do it because, because that's how they are. Uh, now you can learn to do it if you think about it. Um, but you know, a lot of people don't think about it. Is that too no, windy there, John? The, yeah, I think the thing is what you just said is that you can, uh, you know, learn about it, and that's um, uh, something that I think. Uh, actually, I'm a little. Are you, are you there, Alan? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'm here. Oh, okay. I was just uh, saying, I thought I heard something. I was uh, a little worried about it because uh, my last commentary last week, I talked about changing our mindsets and how uh, hard it is to uh, do that. But I do think uh, it can be done. And and I had some criticism uh, from some people that uh, one of the the examples I – uh, use was uh, socialist, and um, you know how how hard it is. If you have something that, that you have a record of a failure and failure all the time, it just uh, you know you say, well, why would the people think that's going to work? But it's the same thing uh, when you have somebody uh, with a closed mindset, and they could be outstanding players. Uh, and sometimes I think, and I'm not going to name names, but I. See, uh, especially one player and two, I I think that I I think the idea of working with another coach is hard for them because they're set in their mindsets. And when they're winning, which is most of the time and playing good, you know, and and these people are winners. They they could be good at that. But when they're not – uh, you know, what do you see? You see the racket being thrown. You see them, you know, blaming somebody else. And occasionally you even see the whining that uh, uh, I, I was criticized for pointing out that that seems to be something the socialists do. So uh, I didn't mean to put it into a political statement, but it just seems such an uh, an easy an example and but I think it can change the mindset. I, I think when you know when I when I get a player, some of the most rewarding things when I had a young player, and they came off on the short end of the score, and they weren't blaming somebody else or they weren't whining about the loss, and the, they were ready to sit there and go take the next step. I always felt well. You know, this person is ready to go out and face life's journey too. It's not—I don't know what's going to happen with them as a tennis player, but I think they're going to be able to handle that bumpy road to success. Well, uh, back to tennis. I, I, as you were saying those things, I was thinking about the difference between uh, players in how, in how they practice, for instance. Mm-hmm. Okay, the. You know, just hitting tennis balls, I mean, if you just hit tennis balls, you will get better, you know, even without uh, figuring out every aspect of, you know, how to hit it and technique and so forth. You'll get better if you just hit tennis balls. But the these successful tennis players, they're really thinking every tennis ball they hit, okay, they're thinking a lot. As, as they as they work on their skills, you know what did I do wrong? You know what what could I do better? Did I get in position quick enough? Why did I miss that ball? I didn't look at it close enough. Okay, now I want more power. Would I relax? You know, turn my shoulders a little farther. The the player that's thinking and and observing what's going on and and changing things that aren't working, that are aware of what's not working and deliberately changing it, those are the ones that improve the fastest. 
Okay. Everybody improves by hitting tennis balls, but you improve a lot quicker if you're alert during practice and deliberately working on, on the best technique possible. You know, no matter how good you get, as a matter of fact, you know, still every ball you hit probably could be hit a little bit better if you did a little more of this and a little less of that. And if you're aware, you're, the, the aware player, when they're practicing, is constantly thinking about how to make the stroke better. I'm sure Federer even does that now. And Nadal, they, they, you know, I got to get ahead of that ball. I got to watch it better. There's always some habit and skill that you can improve a little bit. I mean, if, now, I think uh, in my if you opinion, miss the ball, there's always a reason. There's a reason why you that have open no, mindsets, and that's what makes them better. And I'm not so sure everybody has that open mindset. But I do believe, and I don't you know, mean to disagree with you, but it, it takes time, and that's the hardest thing to measure for a coach if you're not in the college or professional ring, is uh, how much time do you take. But I think it can change people, and people can develop an open mindset. I think because you do have a closed mindset, I don't think you you know you you have to have that for your whole life. I don't know. That's my opinion. Well, we're we're talking different. We're we're, we're slightly talking uh, thirty degrees off point with each other. Uh, I'm I'm talking uh-huh. about a different. I, I I'm talking about something different. What I'm talking about is is awareness. Uh, uh, it is being it, it, it's not having a particular mindset it's it's being it's having it's being alert as opposed to whether you have a mindset that you don't change i mean the average person is just not alert they're they're not looking for better ways to do things it, it it's it's alertness I, I i've seen it in business you know i see some people they just sort of go about their job and, and their mind is somewhere else and, and, and I compare them with another person who's alert. They're looking for easier ways to do things, for better ways to do things all the time, because there always is if you're alert and looking for it. And, and that's what the really successful ones do also. I mean, among their other traits, they're, they're alert. Well, that's true. I think when you get like into business, it's that person with the fixed mindset is the person saying, well, this is how we've done it forever, and this is how, this is what got me here, and this is what I'm, what I'm going to keep doing. And that fixed mindset, a lot of successful people, I think, have it, but it isn't, uh, change is difficult, and then, uh, I, I, I don't know, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm just. It, it, the, the problem, I shouldn't call it a problem, but I mean, it takes effort to be alert. You've you got to think all the time. It's easier just to, to get into a routine and not have to think very much. And, and, right. and I see it on the tennis court. I mean, some people just go out there. They're hitting tennis balls. They don't want to think particularly. Okay, no big deal. It's just a game anyway. But if you want to get good at it, you have to be alert. And that takes more effort and energy. And, and the real thing in business or in tennis is is exerting the energy to think you know actually think about what you're doing and and try to do something better i mean that's a lot harder than just uh having your mind elsewhere and doing things by rote it, it it's it's not that they they're so fixed is that they're lazy mentally they, they don't want to they they don't want to take the effort to, to, to think about what they're doing and try to make it better. You know, you, you, it's a, they would be open to it. It's not that they're close to it. They're just lazy and not looking. <laughs> they're, they're, they're somewhere else. And, 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 I, and I see it in, 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 in jobs as well, where the, the person just does his job, but his mind is elsewhere. You know, he's in la-la land. So, and, and trying to do things better, I should add, it goes back to our first thing. It's a little bit stressful. Okay, it takes it, it takes a little. It, it's more stressful to be trying to do things better and thinking about it than it is just to be in la la land and just sort of do things by rote that you've always been doing. I mean, that's that's psychologically easier. 
it, it doesn't get you as far, but it's easier. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, it makes sense. I, I, maybe I've just been using the terminology wrong. I mean, I've never told, uh, uh, when I do the business, so I never told anybody that they were lazy. I always just said, you know, I, I think you have a fixed mindset, and now how do we change that there? You know, how, you know, have you expressed, you know, what you look at the company about, what uh, the, the other employees that you have that are, are all on the same page? Um, and I think uh, coaching the team sports, and that's what separates what an individual is that. And, and it's always, and I always question myself: Am I taking too much time explaining? I always, I always felt it's easier coaching a pro team, even though I never did in my first love with basketball. Uh, then um, a, a, a high school or college team because. The person that's coming in as a pro, if they have a fixed mindset, they've heard the same thing over and over again, and it's you know they're just half paying attention. They're as you said, lazy. They're intellectually lazy. Uh, in high school, uh, I just sit there and tell my captains, I want everybody looking at me when I'm talking. And they've heard that same thing for four years, so they know what I'm saying. But the other person, it's new to them. So I want them to understand what I'm saying. So I've even gone and walked around to make sure that my captains were pushing the other people to make sure they stood in front of me. And the pros, they've already they've heard this stuff 6,854 times. <laughs> I don't know. And I think if you have a fixed mindset, uh, and I'm trying to think of the South Carolina coach that talks about, you know, be willing to accept new ideas and everything. Uh, it's, you know, I think it be it becomes hard, but I do think it can happen. Yeah, well, it, it, and again, there's sort of two sides uh, to the to the to the sword here. The good side of having. Uh, uh, I don't know if you call it a fixed mindset, but one of the things that the really great players have is th- they're strong-minded. I mean, they don't, mm-hmm. uh, you're not, they're not easy to push around. Okay. They're, they're strong individuals. And so they don't wave around. They don't blow around in the, in the soft, in the first breeze. You know, they're, they're tough-minded people. Okay. They'll tend to be argumentative. In fact, uh, They'll tend to be somewhat contrary. Uh, they don't listen to everybody. They listen to themselves a lot, uh, and they listen to other people somewhat. Uh, the, the, that tough-minded set, you know, uh, sets them on course, and they stick to the course, which is the good part. You know, the bad part is they may not be open uh, to seeing new things. So right. there, there's there's some mixture in there. Uh, I, I, I give you an, an, an example of, of the of the mixture where it, it isn't good, and this is I've, I've seen kids that are overcoached. Okay, they have a coach that that's there all the time. They take a lot of lessons, and they're on the court with the coach all the time, and and they become dependent on the coach. You know, the coach tells them, you know, drop your wrist just a little bit. You know, do, and so when they miss a ball, they look, you know. They look around for the coach to tell them what they did wrong, you know, instead of understanding it themselves and sort of thinking it through themselves and so they can correct themselves. You know, uh, personally, I think like uh, a tennis lesson, you need a coach maybe once a week and, and, and then you need to work it out yourself quite a bit. You know, go on practice, try to, any new habit you learn in tennis is going to be a couple months of work. You know, right. you don't need a new one every week. <laughs> you know, you got to the trick in tennis is each habit builds on something else. So you've got to get one habit in place in order to get a habit in place. You've got to think about it and practice deliberately because you can't just go on autopilot. You know, if you're learn, working on a habit of turning your shoulders further, for instance, Every time you hit a ball, your conscious mind has to think, turn your shoulders, turn your shoulders, 
as soon as you stop thinking about it, then you're going to revert to your old habits. So you have to think about it, and you probably have to go over it and over it for, you know, a month or several months, maybe longer, uh, until the new habit is stronger than the old habit. Uh, but that takes mental effort, again. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so m- most of sport is played by habit. And habit is strengthened by repetition. And so that's the essence of it. You you practice, the whole purpose of practice is habit development. Uh, But when you're developing habits, the secondary, second objective is develop good habits, the best possible habit you could develop, which means the most technically sound strokes you can get. And so that takes mental effort in practice to keep honing the stroke down. So it's hard work. The the great ones, the really great ones, they have it, they can do both. They're strong minded, but they, they're they're looking for something better. I mean, Federer realized that he needed a better topspin backhand. And he also realized that, that he, he, when he missed the backhand topspin, he shanked it. He hit it off center. So, in, in the months he had off, this was, I think he had six months off before the Australian, whenever, he got a bigger racket head with a bigger sweet spot, okay? He was strong, and he kept this old small racket head for many years, and then he finally opened his eyes and realized he needed to not miss hit so often on the backhand. And, and then he worked on the backhand topspin, and he came back and won the Australian, and he won Indian Wells with a, with a, a topspin backhand, that could stand up to Nadal's topspin forehand. You know, before that, he couldn't, you know, he couldn't do it. He had to chip it a lot. So he learned, and, and Nadal was open to stuff too. I mean, strong-headed as he is, he, he, he learned, he first started out hitting every serve slice into the guy's backhand, and then he'd run around and hit a forehand, and that was his game. Slice the first serve in and then hit forehand. And then if you hit backhands, hit them down the line so they'll hit your forehand, and then you can start hitting forehand. Uh, so one thing he learned was a flat serve where he could serve to the guy's forehand. And then that would open up the backhand. You know, the guy would have to watch out for the forehand, and so Nadal's serve to the backhand was more effective. Then he said, well, maybe I should learn to volley. So he did. He played a bunch of, a lot of doubles. And he worked on his volley. He became an excellent volleyer. And the third thing I noticed that he changed was he started to hit his backhand cross court, flat, hard. Right. He used to hit it, chip it down the line a lot. The flat backhand mm-hmm. hard means if the other guy hits a backhand down the line, Nadal, he, he leaves his court open. So Nadal can smack it very hard cross court into the open court, give the guy a, a, a hard run. So the great ones have some sort of a mixture of hard-headedness and long-term view and stick to what they're doing and also, you know, see changes that are necessary and then work on them and then work on them. I'm sure it took Nadal a long time to learn to volley. You know, he probably wasn't very good at it at first, but he learned and the same thing with everything he did. You know, it was months of work. Uh, so, but these guys are willing to do it. Anyway, yeah, windy. that's a separate. It's separate. It's separate thing. But of course, the people listening, they don't care whether we stick to the point or not, as long as they get something out of it. Right. <laughs> well, speaking of getting something out of it, why don't you tell the people how they can get your books and how? They could use your services because I think in in today's um, uh, world, uh, I, I think player, parent, and coaches uh, can use your service. I know every time I talk with you, I learn something. I always uh, feel I should be paying you something. <laughs> but, well, it's uh, okay. I'll give you my ad- I'll give you my address. I don't want you to feel guilty. You can send me a check. <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. But how how do people uh, 
you need you, these people. There's a lot of people out there that can use your services. How do they get in touch with you? Well, my website. They can they can go to my website, Alan Fox Tennis, A L L E N Fox F O X Tennis dot uh, com, and on there they can they can uh, sign up for consulting, uh, and then I'm notified, and then I get to them. Uh, they can email me if they wish, and we can, you know, discuss. Uh, and that's my email is uh, Alan Fox Fox, twice my last name, at ms.com, msn.com, excuse me. Uh, and so I respond to emails. Uh, the uh, my books are available on Amazon. Uh, the Winner's Mind is a crossover book that talks about the traits of the winners and how it relates to tennis and to business. I use examples of both in, in each because uh, I did spend many years running small companies and actually in the investment business. You don't know that, John, but I used to be in the no. investment business too. I, I, I spent seven years and actually ran my own investment company for about four uh, oh, I didn't know that. And, and a, yeah, and a couple of small businesses that uh, my wife and I started. So I, I've had a lot of experience in business, probably more than tennis, actually, or as much. Uh, so The Winner's Mind is a, is, is a book that, that uh, sort of puts the two together. Uh, and other things. I mean, if you're good, if you're an achiever, you're an achiever. Uh, it can be in various areas. Uh, the tennis winning the medal match is on strictly tennis psychology and, and and any of these books you can get um you can go to my website i don't sell uh on my website or maybe i i forget i haven't been to it for a while but if i don't sell the book on my website it, it it'll link you over to amazon or tennis warehouse where they do sell uh they sell my my uh, uh winning the mental match and, and also Think to Win, which is uh, a book on strat- strategy, tennis strategy, and, and also uh, strokes, but more strategy. Now, here's another fact you probably don't know, John, but, but I was a physicist before I was a psychologist. That was my, my undergrad work at UCLA. I got a, a bachelor's in, in physics. So... I look at the strokes in terms of the, you know, the mechanics of how it works and why, you know, you know, you're trying to get racket velocity and how do you do it? And why do you do this and not that? There's a physical reason for all of these things. And so anyway, that's how I look at things. And uh, the mechanics and the geometry of it all, there's a science to it. And so that's what's in my think to win book, which has been around for about, I think I wrote it 25 years ago, 20, yeah, 20, 25 years ago. Uh, Harper Collins is the publisher, and it's still selling. So I guess well, the, the I physics think that hasn't really you know, Too often we think that because something has been written so long ago, it's not relevant. And uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I truthfully, I I do a lot of reading, and I hear a, I hear a lot about this is new and special. I truthfully haven't found that much new stuff. I've found stuff that has been recycled and make uh, good points, and I encourage young people to write uh, and uh, go out and share that information. But when I hear this is the newest and greatest, and I plead guilty, I always want to find out what it is, so I usually wind up getting the book. Well, I haven't found the newest and greatest. What I've usually found is some outstanding people like yourself that has done that. Well, we've shot a whole broadcast, Coach, and uh, next week we're going to have Chuck Reese uh, on, and we'll hear a different view on there. I uh, ask you to please uh, tell your friends, to uh, listen in, and uh, the first of the uh, each month, the Almighty Willen will have Alan Fox, and then we have Chuck Greasy, and uh, then Dr. John Murray, and 
energy coach Linda LeClaire. Sometimes we're blessed to have her husband uh, join her. But uh, uh, the great thing, like I said, about Block Talk Radio is that you can listen at the time you want to. I usually don't listen to the other broadcasts live because I'm doing things, but uh, I do listen to uh, all of them. So you have a blessed week. And uh, please tell your friends, and I look forward to talking with you again next week now. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.